Hello and welcome to the Football in Oceania podcast. With me today is Paul Ifield. He's the new women's manager of the Samoa national team. And uh, Paul, first of all, thanks for coming on. No worries. Uh, so for those who may not know, who, who are you? <laughs> um, I'm a, a pretty young coach. Um, I've been coaching for the best part of six years. Um, before that, played professionally uh, back in England for Millwall. Started out as a, as a young player at Millwall, as a 19-year-old. Played there for a few years, moved from there to Sheffield United, um, where we managed to get promoted to the Premier League. So I had a little bit of time in the Premier League there. Um, then went to Crystal Palace. And then in 2009, after that, went to the Phoenix, um, which obviously led me to New Zealand. And uh, the plan was to be in New Zealand for one year um, and potentially go to Australia or back to England. And I'm still in New Zealand 11 years later, um, which probably tells you what what I, I think uh, about New Zealand. Um, I love it here. Um, and then that led me on to, on to coaching um, when I retired from football. I retired at 35 um, due to injury. I ruptured my Achilles um, playing for the Phoenix. Um, and like I said, been coaching for the last six years. Um, started in the in the men's game with Warrapa United. Um, did a couple of seasons there. Was assistant to Brett Angel at Hawks Bay. Um, was also assistant to Davor Tabic at uh, Tasman. Um, and all the while I was uh, playing still uh, locally um, in our domestic league, domestic national league. Um, and then took up the role with Warrapa United for the women's side um, nearly four years ago now. And that was sort of my first foray into women's football. Um, it was, again, supposed to be only one season sort of to help out. And uh, here I am now as the, as the head coach of the Samoan national team. So uh, things have gone pretty well for me um, in terms of my coaching. I still feel like I, I, I'm learning. I still think there's plenty to learn. Um, but this is the next step in my journey. And there's something I've, I feel I'm ready for um, and I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, so... Um... What do you know about Samoa and their football culture? You know, I assume you may not have been there many times. You know, maybe maybe you played Champions League games against some teams there. I don't know. No, no. I, I, look, I, I'll be honest. Um, I don't know too much. Um, I'm pretty fortunate that I, when I signed for Millwall as a kid um, at 18, Tim Cahill was my roommate. Um, Tim Cahill played for Samoa as a 14-year-old. Obviously went on to become arguably Australia's best best ever player, um, top scorer for Australia, um, and he always used to tell me about you know his homeland and, and what a place it was and that we should visit and and blah 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 and that you know spoke glowingly of of Samoa um, and you could see from the way he talked about it how you know much time he had for the people there and the, his family there so we always talked about one day we would go together. Um, and little did I know at that point that I'd ever be coaching the country. So I'm going to make sure that I give him a call um, and invite him back and see if we can uh, actually tee that up. Not just a holiday, but a bit of a fact-finding mission. Hopefully he can show me around and probably easier for me to go over and be shown around by somebody like that um, than on my own. So, yeah, look, I know a little bit. Um, I think I'm fortunate that I've played for Barbados, um, which is an island nation in itself. And I think the cultures are similar. Um, from what I'm hearing, uh, all the research I've done tells me that the, the people are similar. They have the same ideas and, and similar cultural beliefs. And obviously, there are a lot of challenges with, with island football. Um, but I'm pretty fortunate that I think I find myself in the job at a good time um, when there's money available from FIFA. Um, they're trying to do the right things. I've seen you know the infrastructure is growing. 
Um, there's so much potential in the women's game, and I think I'm, I'm really fortunate to have been getting involved at this time. And it's my job to to make that potential realise, and I think I can do that. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned your previous uh, experience as an international footballer for an island team. Uh, except for like culture, what does being an international footballer allow you to bring? Uh, experience-wise, to this job, um, it's, it's it's a hard one to say because I suppose in terms of, I don't think it's the international football that will stand me in good stead. I think it's the professional football because you can, in this day and age, you can be a international footballer without ever playing professionally. So I think I have to find a way to bring a professional attitude, um, you know, professional mindset. Anything that I did in the professional game that we can help um, to turn that into, you know, extra extra touches on the ball, um, extra time and space on the pitch, um, better coaching standards. So I think all those things from the professional game I can bring to Samoa, um, and alongside that, knowing that there are challenges, like I said, with with island nations, and it is not straightforward. You know, one of the first things will be recruitment. That's going to be difficult. Um, one of the second things is how do we get people together in this in this day and age where COVID is rife everywhere um, and there's no travel bubble. So there's there's lots of different challenges that if I'd have been taking this job two three years ago, it'd be completely different. So it is it is very we're in crazy times, but um, you know you've got to find a different way. Um, and again, you know we're lucky that we have things like Zoom and Skype and, and Google Meets and where I can actually still get face to face with people and start making or start helping people understand what I'm going to try and do moving forward. Samoa is one of those teams that have, you know, traditionally been one of the weakest sides, but especially in the women's games in recent years, they've been making some steady progress. They took their first ever football medal at the Pacific games in 2019 on the women's side. What, what do you think you can, you can, you know, build on with that moment kind of momentum? Yeah, look, again, like I said, I think my timing's been great. Um, it, it could have been worse. Um, you know, to, to pick up a silver medal, at, you know, for the first time is, is massive and it shows that there is potential. Um, I've been doing my research. I've been looking at recent reports. I've been, I'm going to be trying to get hold of uh, recent games, obviously the final of, of that competition as well, um, to have a look at. I've got a database of players that I'm going to be able to start speaking to. Um, and I want to tap into all of that. You know, I want to find out what it's like being a, a local on the island and, and what they expect. Um, I want to find out what it's like to be somebody playing potentially professionally. I know we've got Monique Fisher who plays professionally. Um, it'll be important to get her input. Same as same as the people that are playing in, in New Zealand at the moment. I need to get a really broad view of people's expectations um, and understand the problems that they're, they're facing and find ways that we can potentially, uh, potentially go around that um, and circumnavigate, so to speak, and and find ways that we can all uh, prosper together. But, you know, the future looks bright to me. And I don't think I'd have taken the job. Um, you know, I've been in a position where I've had job offers. I'm not going to tell you who, but I've had job offers in the islands before and, and nothing's really piqued my interest. And and this one did. I mean, obviously, the, the carrot of the World Cup coming up in, in New Zealand is massive. Um, but even to get out of uh, the qualifying group and into the tournament um, in New Zealand before the World Cup would be something massive for the for the nation. So that's what we'll aim at um, as a starting point um, to come through the, the qualifiers. But, you know, that's a massive ask in itself. Um, but we've got to have um, lofty dreams. So um, how how did you find out about the job? Was 
were you contacted? Did you contact someone else? How 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 does one go about getting an international job like this? Uh, you just have to you just have to keep your keep your ear to the ground. I mean, some of some of these jobs, uh, you wonder how how people end up with them. Um, I, I see different countries. Like I said, sometimes you're contacted, um, and then fortunately, I put my name in the hat at the right time, um, and and then it was contacted and went through the normal process as you do, interviewed. Um, I've not done too many interviews in my time. You know, as a professional footballer, you don't really interview. You interview on the pitch rather than off the pitch. So, um, you know, got to sit down like this um, and speak to speak to Jess and Sam at the, at the Samoa and FFS. And uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a long drawn out process. Um, but you know, I was keen from the from the first minute, um, and I think they could see that they could see that it wasn't just um me wanting to further my career it's really me wanting to really make a difference and that's that's what I've done since the start time I started out as a coach it's it's more I think as a player you have to be really selfish I've said this before but as a coach you have to be selfless and it's all about finding those small incremental things to, to build and it's not just the players it's the team around you it's your support staff it's the kit man you know everybody that I touch on the island off the island I have to make better and I have to get better. And I think that's what um, they would have seen in the interview. Um, hopefully they saw that I was passionate about, about leading the country to, to higher heights, really. So, so what kind of football are you looking to get them to play? Have you, are you a guy with like, I don't know, let's say a ticky-tacky style? Or do, are you just looking to see, you know, what kind of players you have? Yeah, I, I think a bit, I think it's it's important to get a balance. Look, I'd love, I'd love to play um, the most beautiful, fluid football that, that, that the islands have ever seen. Um, if I get out there and, and I find players that can't do that, then I would be stupid, I think, to to entertain that. I think you have to find the right balance. You know, there's things that you can you, you can absolutely guarantee. So for me, I think it would be a a big mistake if I don't try and make us the fittest team in Oceania. I think I can guarantee that. Um, and again, working with the right people. Um, using my professional background, I don't think that will be difficult. I think I've got to get the buy-in of the players to understand why. Um, and for me, that's quite simple, putting them through games in training and making sure that they understand how difficult it is to think under pressure when you are tired. The, the less tired you are, the better decisions you make. I think that's you know that can be said of any sport. So a little bit of proof from me, um, I suppose, and my support team um, with the players early on. Um, we'll probably get that over the line. And then it's a case of seeing what I've got um, seeing what we can recruit that haven't potentially played for the country before, mixing that all together and then looking at my philosophy and my playing model. Um, does it fit? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Right. This is how we're going to go. If it doesn't fit, can I find players that are going to going to be able to mould into that? Ultimately, you've got to find a way as a coach to to change that if you think you can. And if you can't, you've got to tweak your, your playing model, maybe um, your formation. You know, there's lots of different ways of doing it, but Ultimately, before we've got 11 months um, to find a balance and make sure that it's married. And, and again, I go back to I need to find out more about my team. I need to find more about the culture um, and make sure that we are representing the country as best we can. Because I want people to come to the games to watch exciting football. But I also want them to go away going, wow, Samoa never, ever give up. They never give in. They fight to the final whistle. They're things that we can guarantee. Um, so... You know, you mentioned Tim Cahill earlier, who's started off some own descent and played some uh, games for the uh, you, one of the youth national teams. Uh, I saw on social media that when you were announced as uh, Samoa manager, 
plenty of people said bring Tim Cahill on as your assistant. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think he's got bigger fish to fry at the moment. Um, he's he's on his way to his own own job is, is is the word on the street. I don't want to say too much, but I know he's in for jobs in England at the moment. Um, look, he's somebody that um, I think I can rely on. I've known him for, like I said, for a number of years. We, we, we go way back. Um, if I need any assistance with anything, I'm sure I can pick up the phone. Um, I do know he has a daughter that plays, so that will be that will be maybe a conversation um, in a couple of years. I'm not sure how old she is. I think she might be 14, 15, so maybe a, a little young at the moment, but um, there'll be a conversation around her, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, like I said, good friend, so I can, I can certainly uh, make a few calls and, and see what we can do. It'd be nice just to get him out. Uh, you know, as a starting point, could I get a video from him to the to the players just to welcome welcome them um, and vice versa? I'm just looking at your Wikipedia page here, and uh, under the uh, international career section, it says, "I feel was forced to retire from international football in 2010 when a representative of the Barbados Football Association lost his passport." Back of my eye, uh, get to explain that one. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I hope that uh, our association uh, in, in Samoa <laughs> doesn't leave me in a similar position with any of our players because, yeah, I mean, that was that was a shambles. I was one of the only players that were playing professionally at the time. Um, I think there was five of us in the squad and the official lost all five passports. And out of the five players um, that he lost the passports of, only one ever played for the country again. Um, and this, this was a time when I was... What we, yeah, 2010, so what's that, 11, 11, I was only 31, I was playing for the Phoenix, scoring goals, playing well, I should have been representing Barbados, I had a good record for Barbados at the time, um, and, I, and I feel they missed out, that's not without, I don't want to blow my own trumpet too much, but I really feel that I could have helped, helped the country, and that, that, it was a disappointing way to end, you know, due to an administration error, rather than, you know, finishing up at 35 and being told you're, you're no longer wanted because you're too old and you're not, you're not good enough, that was how I, sort of foresaw it. So, yeah, you know, a, a little disappointing there, to be honest. Well, yeah, you're not originally from Barbados, are you? How did you end up playing for the national team? Yes, my father. My father's from Barbados um, and, and all his side of the family. He was, he was born in Barbados, moved to England um, with my grandfather um, when he was four. Um, I've still got hundreds of, of family members in Barbados. Um, when I lived in England, I used to go on holiday there every year. To be honest, and obviously I was really, really grateful to to, to put the shirt on. Loved loved every minute of playing. Um, as a, as a kid, didn't know too much about Barbados. You, you grow up in England, uh, dreaming of playing for England. Obviously, I'm you know I'm not going to pretend that's any different. Um, there was a time at probably 1920 where I thought I might make the under 21s potentially for England, and if I'd have made that, it might have been different. But I was ultimately not good enough. Um, and then after the FA Cup final in 2004. Um, I was contacted by the Barbados FA and they said, would you come out and, uh, and, and play for us in a World Cup qualifier? So I went out and, and made my debut against St. Kitts, played two games. And then I was called up a couple of years later for the Caribbean Cup when I was at Sheffield United. Um, I had a really good run in the Caribbean Cup. I think I scored six goals in six games. Um, and then I was called up again two more times in World Cup qualifiers again against the US where we got beat heavily in the first one, 7-0. Um, and got beat in the second one, 1-0, but they had a excellent team and that was that was my last game unfortunately so you know i'm just looking at your the rundown of your career here on uh, on wikipedia just there's some impressive clubs there's over 200 matches for millwall there's 40 odd for sheffield united 60 odd for crystal palace you know that's 
that's some you know that's a career most people can just dream of yeah look very very fortunate yeah very very fortunate um like i said as a kid you 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 watch the you know match of the day and i dreamed of of playing professionally i dreamed of playing in the fa cup final in the premier league and along the way i was lucky enough and in the right place at the right time and worked hard enough to to tick off all of those apart from playing for England. Um, but, you know, I, I, I look back on my time with Barbados with with pride as well. That was, you know, to represent the country of my father's birth was was pretty cool in itself. So, yeah, look, I ticked a lot of things off. I'll be honest as well. I do think if I had a, a stronger mindset, I could have done more. Um, you know, I am proud of what I did, but I look back now and think mindset is so important. You know, when you become a professional, nearly everybody has got a level of ability. And I think you look at the the players that are successful year in, year out um, at the top level, they're so consistent. And I think for me, I struggled with consistency and I struggled with confidence and, and you put that together and it makes things a little bit difficult. So I now I'm coaching. I think I am more empathetic and I understand my players a little more because I know what I went through as a player. And from the outside, people would have looked and said, you know, oh, he's playing in the Premier League. He must be a confident young man. And really I was... Internally, I was struggling at times. So I think it's important that you take the time to really understand your players. Yeah, there's a step from, you know, the Samoan leagues and most of the Oceania leagues to the Premier League. But there's still that mental side that you still have to, you know, be aware of. And what, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're not as high as mightiest people might think you are when you're playing in the Premier League. What, what, can, what can you use your experience to shape and guide your players? Yeah, again, I think it always comes back to empathy and thinking about how you would feel in the same situation. Um, and I look back and I, I played my best stuff under coaches that understood what I was going through at any given time. So if I was, you know, um, super confident and, and maybe a little bit too arrogant at times, then a coach would just have to bring you back down to the right balance. And I think there were times when I needed an arm around my shoulder and, and told that I was the greatest player in the world, even if I wasn't anywhere close to that. But, you know again getting the balance right there were times when I needed that and I'd go out and play well because you get a sometimes it's as simple as a sentence one sentence can change what you do on any given day and I think that's in any any walk of life that's just not not just sport you know I look at that as a parent how, how, do, how do I parent and there's times when my daughters are down for a number of different reasons and sometimes as a, as a father um, I can say one little thing and it can completely change their day, which in turn changes their week, which in turn changes the school term. And I look at that as a, as a coach. What can I do to affect my players? And it's not a one size fits all um, philosophy. There will be some that will need a G up every now and again. There will be some that need an arm on their shoulder. And, you know, especially a lot of the younger ones that are coming in, they're going to be nervous. But nerves are good. Nerves show that you care and you're, and you're worried about what you're, what you're potentially going to do and who you're going to let down. And I think you've got to find a way to tap into that and make sure that all our players, regardless of ability, go out there every single game, one, understanding what I'm asking them to do, and two, playing with complete confidence and knowing that I've got complete confidence in them because that's when you're likely to see the best of them. After, you know, a spill with Crystal Palace and then 2009 comes around, then you you literally travel across the world to, to Wellington. How did that come about? Yeah, um, again, like I said earlier, with, with the Samoa job, you've got to keep your ear to the ground and you've got to find out what's out there. And um, I, I was, I got really lucky. I was trying to go to the MLS um, in America and I just got into a chance conversation with a teammate of mine called Nick Carl at Crystal Palace. 
Um, and he said, would you would you fancy going out to the A-League? And I said, oh, not really, it's too far away. Um, and he said, oh, look, I'll put you in contact with, with an agent anyway and, and see what comes of it. And I originally agreed to go to Central Coast Mariners. And at the last minute, the deal fell through. Literally, I had a party, said goodbye to my friends and family, everything. On the day we were leaving, I had a phone call from the agent saying, look, it's, it's fallen through. So I was back to the drawing board, didn't know what I was going to do. I was I was on trial. Was I on trial? No, I was training with Brighton and Hove Albion, which is where I live at home. And then I got another phone call through from the Phoenix. They'd been chasing me most of the off-season. Um, and they sort of, they gave me a decent offer. And I just said to my wife, look, should we just, should we just go? I didn't know anything about Wellington, didn't know anything about New Zealand, but I figured if I did well, then somebody from Australia would potentially sign me. If I didn't do too well, I could always come home. You know, we just saw it as an adventure. Um, and the minute I touched down in Wellington and was was greeted by the people at the club, I came out on my own. I rang my wife um, straight away and said, look, pack your bags, get out here. At, the, at that time, we only had one daughter. I said, look, you'll love it here. And, and we're still here 11 years later. So it was the best move I ever made. Yeah, yeah, over a hundred games for Wellington. That's you know that's got to be called a success. And then you end up winding down, so to speak, in in the uh, New Zealand Premiership with the uh, local teams. So what's what's the if you could try at least to put into words the difference between standards of the A League and you know the more local league, if you will? Yeah, I, I, again, I think it echoes my career um, consistency. And I'd say a little bit of game understanding and fitness. They're probably the three the three things I, I look at. It. There's guys in our national league here that on any given day could play in the A League, but could they do it every week? Sometimes they're not fit enough. Sometimes they don't understand the game well enough, and so they're not you know getting the level of coaching. They're not training every day. I think you know you've got such an advantage that you can get into a football club with good facilities, train every day. Um, and I, I look back and I certainly took that for granted. It was just a normal thing. But then when you come out the other side and you're training twice a week and you're trying to stay fit and you've got a job and there's all these other things going around, it, it's difficult. So, you know, there's guys in our National League, um, Brian Caltac actually from uh, from Auckland, I think could definitely play in the, in the A-League. Um, there's talk of him potentially getting a trial at the Phoenix and I think that would be a great idea. I think he's more than capable, but he needs to be in training five days a week he needs to be helped a little bit with his consistency, a little bit with his his game management, his game understanding, and, and he could play in the A-League, no problem. And there's a lot of others around like that. But sometimes, as, as terrible as it sounds, sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And sometimes it's playing a good half an hour of football when the right person is watching. Um, and, and that's just how the game works, unfortunately. We mentioned previously that you're of uh, dual citizenship descent, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Yep. You said in an interview with uh, the Oceania Football Confederation that you'd be looking to to bring in some people who have Samoan heritage. How would you how would you find them? It's, I guess a question many people ask. Oh, look, difficult, super difficult. Um, it's going to take a long, a lot of hours. Um, we we do have ways and means. I don't want to speak too much about that because it's it's something that we need to keep under wraps, really, and and. You know, it's a bit, I suppose it's a bit like me telling you exactly how I'm going to qualify for the World Cup. I don't want to tell you too much because others might, might you know, get on. But we, look, we're on to it. We, we've already unearthed a few. Um, I'm in the process of speaking to those and seeing if they would either change from who they were looking to play for or would they consider coming into a camp and seeing what we do and seeing how we work. Um, so that, look, that's been underway before, even before my time. So they're, they're on to it. They're doing a really good job. I 
feel that I can help that process. Um, I've already found a couple over here in New Zealand. Again, I won't, I won't say too much, but um, I'm already on to them to find out what their circumstances are. But I think it's, I think it's a big part of, especially for such a small nation, um, it's important that we that we punch above our weight in, in the recruitment stakes. Um, and if we can get a, a head start, you know, you only need to unearth two or three that haven't potentially played up to now. And that can bridge the gap between potentially finishing second and, and, and making the next part of the World Cup qualifying or, or fifth or sixth. Um, and then when it comes to to these, uh, let's call them smaller nations, uh, a lot of a lot of the usual, you know, the usual criticism, the usual uh, thoughts people have are, you know, the defense are bad, the goalkeepers are bad, you know, any 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 thoughts on how you know how you're gonna drop it off the defense, I guess, and you know, train goalkeepers. Yeah, look, I've got I've got lots of ideas. I don't think we'd have enough time to, to go through all of that. But I mean, again, a lot of the time for me, they're they're bad in the in the first instance because a lot of people have told them they're bad and they start thinking they're bad. So it's it's, it's a never ending circle of of doom, you know, of, and despair. So the first thing I'm going to do is, is is get in there and try and give these people confidence. Um, try and work on their weaknesses and really. Um, Look to promote their strengths. You know, they're 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 gonna if they're national team players, they must have got there for a reason. You know, they're better than whatever else is out there. So to get to that stage, they've already done well, um, and most of them will have stepped out of their comfort zone. So it's it's down to me as a coach, with with the coaching team to find uh, unearth the gems and and coach people. You know, ultimately, it's not a club team. I can't just ask the FFS for a million dollars. Um, and go and sign whoever I want. It's you know I've got to. I'll be judged on what I do on the grass, and and ultimately that's that's what I want. So give me an opportunity to get out onto the grass. I'll find a a, a goalkeeper coach that can coach the goalkeepers. Um, it'll be my, my job to coach the defenders. You know I know what I want. Um, I think, in my opinion, that's the easy part. I think it's much harder to coach people to create. That's where you know that's the the genius of coaching and you look at all the, all the top, top coaches, they managed to do that. And, and that's something pretty special. If you're asking me if I can make us better defensively, I'm pretty confident I can do that. And, and hopefully that shows, you know, you might come back to this interview and go, what happened? But I'm hopeful that, uh, that, I, that I'm right on that one. And I, and I think that'd be something that I'll be able to do um, pretty quickly, really. And with uh, you living in New Zealand and, you know, coaching the Samoa national team, it's not, you know, it's not just a short bus ride to, to the training ground. Uh, <laughs> How are you gonna, you know, are you gonna be living in some old parts of the year? How are you gonna do the commute, so to speak? Yeah, look, at, at the moment, yeah, at the moment is so up in the air because of COVID. Um, I'm pretty much available to go over there when I'm needed, but at the moment that's not feasible given the fact that I have to quarantine for two weeks on the way home. You know, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of time. I've got a, I've got a young family that I need to look after, so it's, it's just not going to be feasible at the moment. The minute that we can get there and there's potentially no quarantine and there's a bubble. I'm sure I'll be there. They're, we're looking at having a camp in New Zealand um, with New Zealand based players to start with. I'm hopeful that that might happen as early as sort of March or April. Um, and then later in the year, um, the plan will be for me to go to um, Samoa. I'm hoping that Jess um, gets to Samoa before me. Um, you know, we're on the phone every day. We're on zoom calls every day, WhatsApp. So we're, we're trying to work out a plan so that if he does get there before me, he can actually set the wheels in motion 
um, my assistant over there can get things going. And between them, they, you know, so once I touch down, it's not like we haven't been doing anything for, for six months and I'm, I'm starting from scratch. Hopefully we'll be well underway. You know, the players will be fit. They'll understand to a certain extent what I expect. Um, you know, there's no reason why I can't get on and, and do Zoom presentations. Um, again, WhatsApp groups with the, with the players. So there's lots of ways of doing things that perhaps wouldn't have been presentable to me 10 years ago. So we're quite fortunate in that. And I think COVID has helped in a funny way, the world come a little bit closer together um, without being able to actually be there. So we're, we're, again, we're fortunate with that. So we're, I'll use every platform I need to use to make sure that they understand what what's expected when I when I get there. For those at home who may not know, uh, Jess is Jess Ibram, the uh, technical director at the Samoa Football Federation. Yeah. Um, and if you'd like, we have a podcast with him. You can check it out. It's about a year old, but... Oh, okay, know. I will. I will do <laughs> He's a, he's a great guy. Um, we're, yeah. we're coming towards the end of uh, my uh, little list of questions here. Uh, could you say anything about how long your contract is, for those who may wonder? Yeah, I've got, yeah, I a two-year contract. Um, but again, it's open-ended as far as I'm concerned. If, if I do a good job and, and they want me to stay and I've had a great time, then then who knows? It's I don't. I'm a pretty loyal person. Um, I don't just go in into something... Um, you know, thinking that it's short term ever. So for me, uh, in the short term, we need to get into the qualifiers and be prepared for that. Um, if I don't get us through the qualifiers into the qualifying tournament, they might not want me anyway. So um, that might take care of itself. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we're speaking again um, in just over a year when we're talking about how well we've done in the World Cup qualifiers and we're looking at a tournament in, in New Zealand. And, and that would be, I'd be really pleased with that. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest while I have, you know, while you have the microphone? <laughs> no, I just, yeah, okay. I just want to say, um, if anybody is listening, so I just want to say that I'm really pleased to take up the challenge. Um, it's an honour and a privilege. Um, and I hope that when you watch us play, um, you will see that we are going to be a team that leaves everything out there and leaves no stone unturned and we'll hopefully make a nation proud. Thank you so much for coming on, Paul Ifill. That's It's been a pleasure. And to everyone at home, thanks for listening. And remember, you can find us on Twitter at FTBL Oceania or on Facebook at facebook.com slash football in Oceania. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, goodbye.